Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. Hi, everybody. It's uh, Stacy from Saltivation. And I have a special guest with us today. You're not just getting the usual crew of us here at TaxOps. Um, I have Tim Noonan with me today, who's a partner at Hodgson Russ in New York. And he and I actually have had the opportunity to speak together recently for a uh, private equity stakeholder group. And so we thought we'd invite Tim here to kind of talk about the things that um, he sees in his practice and kind of how some of these items or issues from a state perspective uh, bubble up, not just for businesses, but also for the individuals that might own those businesses. But before we launch into that, I'm going to go ahead and let Tim introduce himself so that everybody knows who he is. All right. Well, thanks, Stacey. Glad to glad to be a, a part of this today. So yeah, I'm I'm a tax lawyer. I'm not an accountant, so don't don't hold that against me. Um, <laughs> and uh, practice is all state and local taxes, and it's all you know of all shapes and sizes. Uh, represent a lot of high net worth individuals, a lot of businesses on income tax, corporate tax, sales tax, um, all all sorts of all sorts of issues, mostly in sort of the Northeast, but in the residency area, sort of the the personal individual tax. That's been an area that. Um, our firm and myself in particular has focused a lot on. So both from a planning perspective, as most able-bodied New Yorkers have left New York in the past couple of uh-huh. years, so yep. helping a lot of people move. But a huge part of my practice is defending taxpayers who are getting audited uh, by mostly by New York, but you know California, Connecticut, other states as well. But New York is the industry leader here, particularly in the residency space. So you know we handled thousands of cases of, you know, individuals who left New York and, you know, New York didn't think they left. So, uh, you know, defending taxpayers in those audits is a big part of our practice and and litigating cases. We've litigated some of the bigger residency cases in New York over the years. So lots of fun stuff. Yeah, lots of fun. Yeah, fun. Yes. (laughs) That's what we like to say, state local tax, right? Sometimes it's actually fun, but. Yeah, no, I I hear it. I hear you. Like, again, I've been doing this a long time, too. So, uh, you know, we do have some things that we, you know, some things are more fun than others. But again, we've been doing this a long time, both of us. So it uh, keeps us busy and can be challenging too. It's like big puzzle pieces you put together. But so one of the things I just wanted to let the viewers know, like when we did this presentation, um, you know, to our private equity stakeholder groups, you know, a few weeks ago, it seemed that some of the things that came up in our presentation, not to mention, and I'll let Tim talk about this stuff, you know, from his perspective in a little bit, but, you know, just so that private equity firms know, you know, if they're targeting certain companies, you know, what what kind of things might they need to look at from a tax perspective, from a state tax perspective, you know, and some of the things we talked about was just nexus, right? You know, just where are those, you know, target companies operating and do they even know where they're operating? And I think both of our practices, we help companies with that. That's kind of like a, you know, step one, right? Where do our, you know, where do those targets have even filing obligations? And then, you know, if they are flow through entities, right, then the shareholders or, you know, owners have, uh, obligations as well. And so I think those were some of the things that we, you know, talked about in our presentation, as well as then just 
you know, what happens when you do in a private equity firm or in another, you know, acquisitive kind of firm uh, may acquire a company, you know, what do you do from a sourcing perspective for the gain on the sale? You know, those kind of things are, you know, so those are all kind of high, you know, those are high points for companies that are looking to acquire. But I guess from your perspective, what what are you seeing with some of your clients in that space? Yeah, I mean, the state tax issues and private equity deals is is um, sort of an underrated issue. Obviously, you and I think it's the most important issue because that's <laughs> what we do every day. But um, right. you know, we've gotten called in on both sides of these deals where someone's getting acquired. And oops, they haven't collected sales taxes in the past forever years. So yep. the the private equity company that's buying them doesn't like that, right? We we got to clean that up and figure out, you know, have you been, you know, are your sales taxable in this many states, and do, how right. do we clean that up through voluntary disclosure? So st- these state tax issues definitely can sort of rear their ugly head and not necessarily screw up these deals. Um, I think the deals will happen regardless, but you know, from from the buyer's perspective, it's certainly something on due diligence where you know they're looking at that. You know, this it's not 40, 50 percent federal tax, but you know, five, right. six, eight, ten percent taxes on you know billion dollar deals is still a big yeah. number. So, right. so so the buyers, you know, counsel and accountants are are digging into state tax issues on the on the due diligence side, and then. When the you know when we've been again representing the sellers, we're just you know kind of playing defense sometimes, but you, know, you end up getting into debates with you know the, the the buyers council about whether something is taxable. Like the you know the buyers council sometimes takes on the role of the government to say, oh, you should have been paying tax in all these different states. So again, not anything that really screws up the deal, but just there's an expertise there for the salt salt folks out there where they definitely have you know become needed in in a lot of these big deals. Yeah, no, agree. Yeah, because we we also, you know, at our firm, we we also represent from a you know an accountant perspective, you know, buyers or sellers and sellers, and we see some of the same things. And we, I think, you know, go through and try to protect you know the buyers and you know so that they are not stuck, you know, hanging the or you know holding the bag for some exposure that they you know, are acquiring. Uh, But to your point, I don't think that it's always maybe top of mind, particularly when it comes to like transaction taxes. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they focus on the income taxes, right? Because those are maybe a little bit more prevalent or out there because, you know, there could be third parties, you know, other CPAs or whatever that are working on, you know, the income tax filings. But a lot of sales tax and transaction taxes are handled internally. So those may not be things that are always, at least, you know, where a buyer or seller has, you know, that much, um, or a buyer rather would have that much visibility to it. Yeah. So look, um, with the Wayfair case in 2018, you know, you mentioned Nexus, like now you have all these sellers who, you know, might not be watching what happens at the Supreme Court level and don't realize that Pretty much every state has come out and said, well, if you have certain amount of sales in the state, which isn't very high from a threshold, you should be collecting sales tax in 46 different states and thousands of taxing jurisdictions, you know, local taxing jurisdictions. So that can be messy, uh, particularly, again, prior to to the Wayfair case. Oh, we only have Nexus in one state or something like that, which 
was probably bogus too. Like, it's not, <laughs> right, doesn't take right. a lot to create Nexus. So, Correct. lots of yeah. these companies on a multi-state basis probably had Nexus all over the place anyway. The Wayfair yeah. case just sort of made it obvious that, uh oh, now we right. have Nexus like everywhere, right. and that's got to get cleaned up in these deals if if the deals are going to go forward. Well, and then so that's you know, and so that's kind of like on the business side of it, right? The entity side of things. So then I guess kind of circling back to your practice, I guess what are you saying? If you're, you know, if you're helping maybe some of those shareholders or individual owners, I guess, what are, other than maybe residency, kind of what are, what are some of the things that you're seeing in your practice? That yeah, I mean, it's, it actually does, a lot of these questions will start with kind of the residency question. Okay. And it's, you know, it's fun stuff for us because it's on both sides. Like, well, sure. we, we have, I have lots of clients who are selling their businesses and, you know, they want to, you know, maximize their their take from the business and state taxes is a piece of that. And then of course there's the the folks who run these private equity companies who I don't know if you've noticed they make pretty good money too, right? So you know <laughs> right, so right. state the individual state income tax on the players in these companies is is a big deal. So um but yeah if someone's selling their company, you know, I get calls a lot, which is oh we're you know got a letter of intent, we're gonna sell. Mm-hmm. Um I live in New York City my accountant just told me there's a 14% tax on my $100 million deal. That's $14 million. I don't want to pay that. We spent all this time in Florida already. Like I, I don't want to pay the tax. So helping the, the sellers in that instance, A, just get get out of town, like move, um, get themselves set up so that they're not a resident of, of New York or wherever, of California, when that deal hits. Like that, that's massive. Um, so so planning, planning for those moves you know has always been been a large part of our practice um it's tougher when there's a transaction closing in three months and someone calls me and says i mean it just happened the other day oh i'm selling my company for 40 million dollars uh transaction is going to close in q1 2023 okay well where are you right now in my big new york city apartment like do you have anything in florida no i don't like all right okay let's get to work right so um but yeah so that's Sort of on the seller side, there's those issues, and then just like, well, how's it, how are our states going to tax the gain on the sale, right? Yeah. If you if the seller sells stock, then theoretically they only owe tax in their state of residence. What I've seen, and I don't know if this is just the deals I see, I don't really see a lot of just straight up stock sales, yeah. right? Like most people will sell assets. Yep. Or they'll sell stock, but the, the buyer will want a 330H10 election, so it gets treated right. as a sale right. of assets. So it's really sale of assets. Yeah. Well, then, you know, that seller might have they they could set up shop in Florida just fine, but they could have gain could be allocated to all these different states. So right. and again, that actually sometimes becomes a negotiated point on the buyer side. I'm sorry, on the on the seller side in these deals. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm in Florida. If I sell stock, right. I don't pay any tax. You wanted me to sell assets. Well, now I got to pay tax in 46 states. What gives? So that becomes a negotiating point. Pay me more for my company because you're screwing me over. I got to pay all the state tax. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So from a residency perspective, because I mean, we we have enough, you know, work of our own here at, at Tax Ops about that, but I guess. In your opinion, or I guess, do you feel like there's a lot of differences between like some of the states with respect to, I I know New York's very aggressive, right? But I guess from a technical perspective on like the residency rules, do you feel like New York's a little bit more like they're a tougher state 
to claim or to prove non-residency than maybe another state? Yeah. I know, I, mean, I know that's kind of a loaded question because we sometimes get questions about like, is this state better than this state? And yeah. you know, there's always gray, but. The rules in most states are, are, are either similar or really the same. Like someone leaving Colorado. Yes. Yeah. It's the same sort of, you know, same residency test as someone leaving New York. There's a domicile test. There's like a day yep. count test. Like, so that, you know, California's rules are a little bit different, but they all sort of sound in the same concepts of this domicile thing. So, you know, in that sense, you know, the rules are the same. I think New York just being so aggressive, um, they don't have different tests, really. They just, they're, they're more aggressive in enforcing those tests. The, the benefit is, you know, because of that and because there's such a long history in New York sort of fighting these cases and there's like 300 tax auditors who do this work, there is lots of guidance out there as to what matters in these cases and what doesn't. There's there's tons of cases. Sure. There's 100 pages of audit guidelines where they sort of like, like the IRS has an audit manual. They have that for residency cases and non-resident allocation cases. It's awesome, right? So, I mean, you have all this material out there to sort of guide a practitioner when they have an audit. Whereas if someone leaves Colorado or something, it's like, well, there's just no, there's no sort of wealth of precedent, right. you know? So, right. and the reason is because, well, maybe Colorado isn't chasing people for the 5% or whatever tax there, you know? So right. I just think that's the, that's the difference. It has allowed us to sort of practice, especially in residency on a multi-state basis because of our experience just in dealing with the nuances of the residency rules that maybe haven't come up in a California case, but sure. it's the same test. So we're right. able to sort of apply that knowledge and helping folks navigate some of these some of these issues in other states. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, and you got to think that even like a Colorado, which again, may not be as aggressively pursuing, you know, residency audits, at least today, right? They would potentially look to some of those others. I mean, and this happens all the time, regardless of, you know, really what kind of type of tax it is or what the issue is, but they do look to other states for guidance as to, okay, how would they apply those rules, right? And we do the same thing in our practices. Yep. So, yep, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's Connecticut, Connecticut is, their income tax is newer. It was been in place since the 90s, but there's tons of Connecticut income tax cases where the court says, well, we don't have anything on this, but there's a case in New York. And since our laws right. are similar, so similar. Works, so there's, yeah. in some sense, in some instances, it just it's flat out reliant on what happens in New York. So, yeah, okay. that's all all helpful kind of knowledge and guidance as we're helping people manage these issues in other states, too. What would be kind of like your like takeaway for like it doesn't even have to be like in a private equity firm who might be like going to look to acquire, but any kind of like acquirer kind of what would be what would be kind of like the takeaway for from your perspective for them to you know if they're looking to acquire a company from from the sort of the the private equity side of things yeah well i mean so there's there's two aspects of it one is you know what we talked about initially which is make sure you're not buying a bag of goods that's got state tax <laughs> problems up the yin yang you know what i mean right. like so yep. you know obviously you got to do your due diligence there i mean that's you know from right. from this from the state tax perspective that's what those those folks need to have in mind just just like we discussed and you get you know get good accountants and lawyers to do your due diligence and 
you'll you know you might find a lot of stuff under the rocks you uncover but at least you're doing it before you, you buy the company and you you ride off into the sunset you know the the sort of taxation of this we talked about in our uh, our, our, our seminar last week that the, the taxation of sort of private equity owners is interesting because they often will benefit from the sort of carried interest kind of concept or a lot of their you know, they'll they'll have management sort of fee income, and mm-hmm. management fee income is is taxable in states where the the work is being done, even if you're not a resident of that state. But you know, a lot of the sort of wealth creation that happens for folks in the private equity world is through sort of pieces of the of their target companies they acquire, and then when they sell, you know, again, it's whatever that's that's called um i call it carried interest um but it's sort of their piece of these companies well that is almost always just treated as investment as capital gain yeah. it's, an, it's an intangible so in addition to the sort of the capital gain benefit of carried interest which is a long tortured thing about whether or not hedge fund folks and private equity owners should get sort of capital gains treatment it has an important effect on state taxes too because even though I mean, particularly like in the hedge fund context where you have the hedge fund owners receiving management fees and sort of incentive fees for their services, but yet the incentive fees are capital gain and the incentive fees aren't taxed in any non-resident states. It's the same thing with the private equity folks who sort of sell, have huge income events from the sale of a target. Well, they're not paying any income tax themselves personally on their piece in any states except the state where they're a resident. So then the issue for them, so on both sides, you could have you know, both sides of the deal where, where buyer wants to get out of New York and seller wants to get out of California before this transaction happens to right. save 14% taxes. So you'll have both of them trying to leave. So the this, this similar issue will you know, come up on the on this, um, buyer side, on the, on the private equity side, just making sure that there's a real benefit to be had if you're living in a in a no or low tax state. So that that's a consideration that always comes up for those folks as well. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. 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 And I guess you know we've kind of been talking about the private equity space, but I guess you know one of the things that I think we as a firm do, and I'm sure that you guys do too, right? Is you know when we even maybe get a new client who's you know maybe they've been you know, operating for a few years or whatever, we always ask about, hey, do you, are you entertaining some kind of exit strategy? And what is that going to be? Back to your point about planning, because it's really important for things to be put in place for them to, you know, have the best tax outcome should they decide to sell. So, yeah, I mean, I was just working with a client um, this week and, you know, he was closely held company S Corporation and, he had sort of engaged us to help him move into Florida, wanted to make sure that sort of the way his income from this S corporation was taxed, you know, was most tax efficient, you know, wasn't taxed in New York. And in looking at the sort of shareholders agreement and such, we're like, well, problem here is what you have set up, like, forget about the New York thing. New York thing's great. We got a good plan. But if the IRS ever looked at this, like they'd, they'd void your S election, right? So they were basically mm-hmm. paying out all the salary to the owners and it was, wasn't great. It's a little that that kind of stuff is kind of outside my wheelhouse. But I grabbed one of one of my federal tax partners, and he was like, "Yeah, this is this is super bad from an S election standpoint." Um, but they've been around for 
decades and no one's ever raised it. And, you know, a client was like, okay, well, thanks for pointing that out. But, you know, what am I going to do about it? Like, it is what it is. And, and who cares? Uh, because, you know, the IRS hasn't brought it up. New York's probably not going to bring it up. But the issue was, well, do you want to sell? Oh, yeah, we might sell in five years. Well, I tell you what, that buyer is not going to be happy that the company right. it's acquiring has had a blown S election for 20 years, right? So knowing sort of the long-term picture becomes super important in situations like that. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for joining us today on Saltivation. And a special thanks to Tim for uh, joining us as our special guest. And we'll catch you next time. All right. Thanks for having me. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. You should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.